white privilege used to exist, and we think it was wrong. It was it used to be back in the '60s and the '70s, and during the old days, like during slavery times. And we think that was really disgusting, like segregation and all that. And I think Black Lives had to be heard that time. But now it's all gone. White privilege, white privilege does not exist at all no more. It is the past. So stop listening to CNN and all these fake news articles. They're trying to trick you in all these. And which is now showing discrimination against people in rural America and all, to all the whites out there. So I think you, sir, are uneducated. You're really un uneducated. You are dumb. You are retarded. I'm sorry. There is no such thing as white privilege. There's earned privilege in life that you work for. There are those who may have a form of privilege that they exert on others in a form of influence. If there is no <laughs> Hi guys, welcome and thank you for watching On The Town with Tanya once again. I appreciate you. I hope you have went to our pages, liked and subscribed and told your friends about it. Tonight's topic is stopping racism. Um, tonight's guest was raised in the Religious Society of Friends, better known as the Quakers, uh, and is the director of a not-for-profit center for the study of white American culture incorporated. And she has had a lifelong concern for racial justice and equity. Please welcome Robin Mallison Alpern. Welcome. Thank you, Tanya. I have to say really quickly, I am the director of training Director training. I, you know, yeah. I don't know how I missed that. Uh, That's know, okay. I apologize. Uh, hey, our director uh, might have a question for me tomorrow, though. So yes, sorry, director. That's totally my fault. <laughs> That's I take okay. It. So, um, so race is a big thing um, these days, uh, and that's probably because people are just waking up, in my opinion, which is good. Um, and so now, you know, it's um, it's become this major. Um, major issue in the problem that some sides feel like my side may feel like, um, why isn't anybody hearing me? Don't mm -hmm. they see what just happened? Like what, how could you not see this? Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other side uh, says, come on, is it really that bad? Like really, mm -hmm. it's not that, that, that was like 200 years ago, like lighten up, like why are you always talking about race? So I wanted to have you here because I wanted to um, a talk about uh, the the center. That's most importantly because the work that they're doing there um, is the only way I feel that we will be able to finally get on the same page. And hopefully, uh, even if we don't get rid of racism, because people always have something to pick on, right? Uh, at least we'll be at a place where we're comfortable talking, sharing, and respecting each other. So that's that's my my goal. I don't. I have a fantasy that it'll all end and go away tomorrow because they'll pick some other group. So this is just unfortunate uh, human nature, I, I believe. So how has um, racism uh, affected um, white lives is what I'd like to ask, because it seems like like we've been talking about this and having a dialogue for a long time, but now that the, the critical race theory came in and all this new stuff and the George Floyd, um, it has made it uh, like literally people up on the defense, mm -hmm. like literally. So I was like, well, well, let me take a step back. Maybe um, all this talk and all this change and everything is affecting white people in another way. So mm -hmm. I think that's valid. Can you just share that piece? And then you'll tell us about uh, C, uh, CSW. Yes, 
<laughs> Nobody can you know, say never know the short term, <laughs> long term. Yeah. Um, so, so first, I'm I'm going to a little bit disagree with you about the human nature thing. Okay. Something that we teach in our workshops actually is the history of how uh, racism was constructed in the United States. And when you say, "Is it affecting white people?" Mm -hmm. that really goes straight to the history because racism is a system that was constructed in order to grant white people advantages and privileges. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's not something that a lot of people like to hear, but but when you study the history, that's actually what happened and what is currently happening. So white people are very much affected by racism in terms of that we we do have all kinds of benefits and privileges from it. If we have time, I could give you a couple of quick examples. Okay. Uh, you know, your videos were these people saying, oh, there's no such thing as white privilege, but mm -hmm. there is recent research that has shown that, for instance, if people do a blind uh, study where uh, applicants for jobs mm -hmm. send in their resumes, mm -hmm. and if one has the name, you know, Malik Washington, yes. and the other one has the name Robin Alpern, you yes. know, who's going to get the job? And, you know, this is the studies show that Robin Alpern is going to get the job over Malik Washington. So that's one example. Another example is that it's been also shown that police, when confronting um, in, in tests, when they are confronting an individual who pulls something from his pocket, mm -hmm. if it is a black man, they will statistically think that the black man is pulling a gun or other weapon. If it's a white man, they will statistically be more likely to think that it's a wallet or cell phone. Right. So, you know, these are real examples of white people getting goodies from racism. Well, I, I have actually, I actually have a video. I was going to wait to play it. But do you mind? And I will tell my viewers, uh, no trick. It's a trigger warning technically because just looking at it uh, is annoying. Um, but nothing actually happens physical. So that's the good yeah. news. But it just almost seems like it's something's going to happen. But you'll see it doesn't. And this is just um, one example of what Robin, Robin is, uh, is referring to that we didn't play. So watch this clip. Watch this video and I'm going to be right back. Well, it seems like he's not complying. Let's keep rolling the tape to see what happens. Do it. I have nothing to do. Do me a favor. Just please step out of the car. That's all we're asking you to do. Oh, you're asking me out. Yes. Do it. Do it. You know that. That's two commands he didn't obey. They asked him to put his hands on the steering wheel. He said no. They asked him to step out of the car. Nicely, by the way. And he said no. Well, let's see how it ended. You got at me, sir. Right now my life's in threat. Okay. Well, we have I don't see body cam on this, sir. I'm just going to drive away. I'm not going to bother anybody. No, you're hands not. On the seat, don't, don't do this. Nope. Don't do it. Don't. Well, I wonder why they didn't shoot him. Privileged Uh, that's an example right there. Uh, cause the first thing is like, wait a minute. He not only did he threaten him and he had a gun, but he's also like, I'm just going to drive away. He's telling them what I'm going to do. I'm going to drive away. Okay. You just hold that for thought. So that tells you that's, that's a clear, precise, uh, white privilege, but also it shows to my, in my opinion, um, with the study that, that why didn't they ever think that him having a gun was a threat? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never once did they, I've seen a few of these videos, not just, that's not, that's just one, but I've seen a few where literally the, the guy, excuse the expression, but he beat the police officer with the billy stick and they were like, come on, you don't want to do that. Come on, will you stop? I'm not even kidding. The, the wife had to come and say, come on, will you just go in with them? It was crazy. I was like, wow, that's an example of, of, uh, you know, that's privilege. And that, and that's not to say it, uh, as if, um, oh, Robin, it's, you know, how dare you have white privilege personally? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, how do I say, I don't hate on someone that has it. I just want them to recognize it and then don't put me in their category. You know what I'm saying? So, so if we both went for a job or went to, got into NYU, don't say I got in. I mean, I can't give a good example. Don't say that I, um, you know, that my name did not have anything with me not getting a job if my name is Kanifa, right? Versus, yeah. I mean, and I, and I hate to say this, but my name has gotten me some privileges, at least on the phone. When uh-huh. they bring you Cooper, no one has ever, when they, when every time I've went to a job interview, they're like, oh, you're Tanya Cooper? Oh, wait, <laughs> right? Who are you? And I'm like, yeah, good trick. My grandpa tricked us all. So it's a joke of mine, but it's serious that it, that name, I, who'd have thought it really does. Um, uh, I've seen people not uh, get a job because of the names is horrible. Yeah. So, and so again, we- these, these things can be shown, um, systemically and statistically. So mm-hmm. somebody might look at that video you just showed and said, okay, well, so that one white guy just happened to get some, you know, genial police officers. It mm-hmm. wouldn't have happened that way, but right. you know, you can look at statistics and see that, well, no, uh, you know, a thousand white guys have been let off under those circumstances and a thousand black men under the same circumstances. Yes. Half of them may be dead already. Uh, yes. And I'm actually talking that on five black comments on Saturday. We're talking about that. Uh, we have an inmate telling statistic on why uh, and how that is very much a real thing right now. But do you really think, Robin, um, and I'm pretty sure you do because you wouldn't do with the work. I know I've known you, what, 20, my daughter's 34, 30 years. I think my years. Years I've known you 30 years. years. Wow. That's wow. right. Whoa. That's amazing. We're not even that old. So how does this happen? I know. Exactly. Well, we're only 25. Um, <laughs> but do you really think that education um, will be one of the ways to to um, eradicate racism? Like, are we? am I being unrealistic or... No, I I know that it will be one of the ways, and I appreciate you saying one of the ways, because unfortunately, it has also been shown over and over that um, racism is very deeply embedded, often in an an emotional way, to the the extent where people are not bothered by the facts. You know, like, I can educate certain people all day long, and they do not care about the facts. They only care about their feeling. And their feeling is that they're afraid of people of color, um, that they're angry at people of color, that people of color are a threat and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's not only education. Mm -hmm. However, there are a lot of people who just are uninformed, misinformed, ignorant, and who really do want to know what's going on and and how they can do better and how they can stop racism. Mm. And for those people, education does make a huge difference. Yes, I believe that. So, so tell us about uh, CSWAC. Um, <laughs> how, do you, how do you say the short version? Um, we, we usually call it CISWAC. It stands for the Center for the Study of White American Culture. And it okay. was founded in 1995. It's a multiracial organization that was founded because um, in, in working on racism, um, people tend to focus on 
people of color, which of course people of color are the targets of racism. And so we do need to be paying attention to how it's impacting people of color. However, white people are also involved in it. And so the center was founded for us to have a better understanding of how are white people involved? How is whiteness involved? What does whiteness have to do with producing and reproducing racism? Mm. So we offer workshops on a variety of topics um, for people to come and learn about how, and it's and it's for everybody. People of any race are welcome yes. at our workshops, but we do especially focus on understanding how white identity um, and white history and whiteness are playing out mm -hmm. to create racism. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I just got a little feedback there. What, what exactly is white privilege for those that don't know? Um, white privilege is the system of giving advantages and perks to people who identify as white um, or people who have light colored skin so that society perceives them as white. And these advantages are occurring across the board in every single area of life. So mm -hmm. ma no matter where you look, if you look at education, if you look at jobs, if you look mm -hmm. at housing, if you look at healthcare, if mm -hmm. you look in religion, mm -hmm. any area you wanna look at, what you find is that white people are constantly getting a leg up. Mm -hmm. Now there are white people who will say, well, not me, I'm yeah, poor, I didn't go to college, uh, you know, my parents were first generation immigrants, we mm -hmm. struggled. And, you know, this is true that not all white people are having all of the advantages and perks. That is true. Right. Um, but it's also true that generally speaking, across mm -hmm. the board, if you mm -hmm. show up with white skin, white identity, you are going to get things that will not be granted to people of color. And you will not get things such as being shot within less than two seconds, right. like Tamir Rice, right. because you have a dark skin. You will right. not get that treatment, Right. not statistically speaking. So you said that very nice, because that's what I was going to ask. I have some people say, um, I had a girl, um, friend of mine say, she's from Poland, and she works as a house cleaner. And um, so I don't call her a house cleaner. I say house manager. That's what I call her. Okay. Um, and because she, does, to me, she does well for herself. But you know, I think she, I don't know if she married someone and came here. I don't know what the deal was, but it's not, she didn't marry Daddy Warbucks. Let's just say that. She okay. says, I do not have a white privilege. What is this white privilege? And I said, well, you you wouldn't understand it first because of from where you come from is very not, and it's not insulting just I'm saying where she comes from is very very poor so this is a leg up no matter what she what she gets it's it's a leg up that's number one number two um, she's platinum blonde naturally and absolutely gorgeous without a drop of makeup she's a natural naturalist so she doesn't make up she's jeans and t-shirt girl but. I don't want to tell her, but I was like, girl, you are super gorgeous. If you just let that down my hair and you walk out and find the, a, another husband side that one you have, I guarantee you what you will see what my privilege really is. Like you're not taking advantage of it. So I don't want, I didn't know how to tell her that, but do you think I was wrong for telling her that? Because she, she says she absolutely does not see. And I think it's because she came here um, on a marriage visa, I guess. So to, yeah. it's, and she and her husband's broke and she's the one named the breadwinner. So maybe that's why I, well, I'm not sure. It's also wrong? because 
It's also because when you're on top of the heap, as as white people are, you mm -hmm. don't see what's going on for all the people underneath you on the heap. And right. so you only see your own struggles and trials. Mm -hmm. But if you saw in comparison what mm -hmm. so many people of color are going through, you'd start to realize. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, you know, Peggy McIntosh wrote the invisible knapsack or backpack. Now I forget which one it is. <laughs> years ago about mm -hmm. white privilege. So anybody who doesn't see it, you, mm -hmm. you look up Peggy McIntosh and she has lists of what are the kinds of things that white people benefit from every single day of our lives that we don't even think about. We're just so used to it. You know, mm -hmm. we don't think about the fact that we can um, pay with a check and the cashier doesn't say, wait a minute, is that right. check good? Wait a minute. You can't write a check unless it's for at least $50. You know, stuff that happens to people of color, but it never happens to white people. So we don't even realize that's a privilege we have. Exactly. That's a, that's a big thing. What about this? Um, I know you uh, somewhere in uh, one of your, um, one of your brochures I saw, um, how are white women the architects of white supremacy? I'd love to hear that. Oh, so that's actually not a CISWAC course. That's a course that I do um, independently called The Arc of White Womanhood. And um, so white women mm -hmm. from the beginning in the United States mm -hmm. have taken advantage of the fact that our white skin protects us to some degree. Mm -hmm. As women, we mm -hmm. have faced oppression from sexism, right? Mm -hmm. We've been oppressed by men, but something that has kept us from being oppressed as badly as women of color and people mm -hmm. of color is the mm -hmm. fact that we share that white skin. And so um, unfortunately, white women from early in the United States have been colluding mm -hmm. with all the different ways that racism was being constructed mm -hmm. because again, we, well, at least I've got my white skin privilege. Right. And right. there are many specific examples I could give you of this collusion, such as to me, it was astounding when I found out that white women, lots of them owned African enslaved people. It wasn't that their white husband owned them and I'm just, you know, his wife. No, plenty of white women themselves were in the buying and selling of enslaved people business. And they were not necessarily nice white mm. women either. Mm. So there's a lot more detail that I could go into. Well, <laughs> that's one, but maybe this will lead to the other. Um, so I know um, there's the study that says that kids who grow up in a diverse school are less likely to have um, you know, so much hatred and usually can uh, get get along just a little bit better than other people who were raised only about around their their kind. So with that being said, the women are the mothers. They are the leaders. They are the ones who bring up the fruit to go the way they want them to go. So how has this racism theory kept going generation to generation to generation? Because if your mother's not stopping it, then she's being complacent. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, right? I, I mean, I would yes. guess. Yes. yes, your mother. Your mother's usually the one. Very rare. The father. Everybody thinks the father's the leader, but the mother really gives the values. Um, and there's some cultures who, you know, they say, "Oh, you know, mom, mom's the leader. Mom has to raise the kid and teach them the traditions and the values." So, with that being said, all right, uh, who's passing on this uh, this lovely uh, hatred? Uh, uh, yeah. And maybe not even sitting there saying, okay, I want you to hate Tommy because he has blonde hair. Maybe not even that. Maybe not saying anything and never putting your kid around Tommy. 
Well, that's that's one way. And yes, modeling um, mm -hmm. racism without having to say a word about it. But yeah. you're absolutely right that that women as mothers have played mm -hmm. a huge role for hundreds of years mm -hmm. in perpetuating racism. That mm -hmm. I, I would say that uh, actually white women have been exploited in that way. Again, mm -hmm. we were getting goodies from it, but mm -hmm. oftentimes we had to give up stuff too. That's something we talk about in the arc of white womanhood. But but um, but white women as mothers have mm -hmm. been doing stuff like um, in the time of um, uh, school integration, mm -hmm. it was, it was mothers who chained themselves to fences so that buses could not leave the bus yard. Yes, the bus yeah. kids. You know, it, it was many people mothers, forget that mothers who stood there and threw eggs and shouted racial epithets at small children of color for trying to go to school. Mm -hmm. So, so women as mothers, white women as mothers, have definitely been very hard at work maintaining mm -hmm. white supremacy. Wow, that's a, that's a scary thought because it's just, you know, I really think that if we reach the children and the, the mothers, we probably could get the men to at least, if not totally change, soften up because now you got two in your tribe that are like, we're not going for this. I've seen family, I have friends who were raised in racist families and they were, I was like, how did you know? They said, I just knew. And especially once you get out in the real world and you're looking around you're like, wait, why are they talking? Oh, there that guy's not robbing nobody. He seems nice. Oh, and he's a lawyer and he's a doc. Hmm. So something my family taught me. I mean, everybody has that revelation when you go leave home and you go to college where you're like, what did my parents teach me that? Right? Everybody has that moment of something. It doesn't have to be race. It could be, you know, you know, everybody had new sneakers. Um, it could be anything. But yeah. but that revelation of racism or sexism or um, even things like abuse, um, things like that that are that are passed down to the family. When you go out in the real world, at some point your eyes like, oh, oh, well maybe that ain't right. Even if you yes. don't follow it, because your heart's probably so stuck on what you was raised that you may not bypass it. Um, have you ever had anybody um, in your family that that maybe been racist, but you just felt like, I'll let them handle that. I can't, I got to deal with my stuff and deal with what I can. Yes, I have had that happen, Tanya. Um, and um, yeah, that's something I'm still wrestling with. And lots of people do. Sometimes your, your family is like the hardest people to work with. Yes. Um, well, what um, do we say? I wanna, mm, God, sorry. I just wanted to go back to what you were saying though, about the difference that it makes mm -hmm. um, when when adults, whether it's parents or it could be educators or caregivers mm -hmm. or people in the faith community or, you know, any adults around a child, when they do start teaching that child, look, mm -hmm. here's how it really is. Right. Uh, that makes a huge difference. And I wanted to mention that we have a, a workshop coming up in October, beginning October 2nd, raising yeah. anti-racist white children. And mm. it does focus on white kids because again, you know, we're trying to identify that white people are making a problem and we got work to do, but yeah. actually the, the course um, is useful for people of any race and has information about supporting children of any race to okay. learn to be anti-racist. Because racism is a system and the only way, you know, the title of this show tonight is Stopping Racism. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Stopping <laughs> Racism. The mm -hmm. only way that we are going to stop a system is by systematically mm -hmm. teaching and 
acting anti-racism. Uh, absolutely. I appreciate it. So guys, if you're watching, you can look at the name on there uh, and you can go to their Facebook page if you want to know how to get to those groups. Um, and also I had put the link for the uh, for the uh, website up there. Um, and you can also inbox me if you forget everything I just said, <laughs> you can inbox me. Um, so Robin, so what, what about um, something called the developmental window? I think that's very important when it comes to kids. Uh, and that's why I love the work you're doing because you have something where you can actually teach people how to work with kids. Yes. So, so I'll agree that um, uh, kids do as when they're very young, they, they are uh, very susceptible, uh, you know, really wide open learning. Mm -hmm. So that is a great time. You need mm -hmm. to start teaching them mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Right. anti-racism and taking advantage of their developmental stages. Right. However, that does not mean that you should give up. <laughs> um, you know, if, if children are older than that developmental window, um, you know, I've seen adults in our workshops turn yeah. around. Yeah. Um, so, you know, yeah. people at any, at any age mm -hmm. can I recognize, oh my God, I've been wrong. Right. I need to relearn. Yes. I had a lady who was like six years old uh, and she was like, wow, I never even thought of those things. And and I, I really believe what she says, because when you um, buy a house in the back ridge or pound ridge somewhere, I mean, what else would you see? <laughs> you know, if your kids are going off to a private school, what else would you see? So so sometimes I say, now, is that intentional or because you're really trying to set them up for the great future and you just want them to have the best advantage of everything? That's okay. There's nothing sinful or wrong about that. I don't have no problem with that at all. But okay, so why aren't you having play dates with other kids of other cultures? Why aren't you um, taking them to a park where they can see other people? Just so that, because you sometimes you don't have to say anything with kids. If they just see you model, that's enough. That's enough. My kids see me with Asian friends and they know the difference between the Chinese and Vietnamese and Filipino. They know the difference. Why? Because I took time to expose them around all different types of Asians, not just one, like everybody thinks, you know what I'm saying? So that's, uh, you know, that's so important. Um, the modeling, you know, I think that that is, that is, if they can't even speak, that's fine. What they see is what they're going to fear or not fear. And I've had people say, well, my parents always told me never to go to the South side and, and I, uh, that I'm never supposed to be around black men. And, and so I grew up fearing black men. And I said, well, at what point did you realize that your mother was absolutely wrong? She said, when I got to college and all, all the black men were nice and, and they were not, what, what, everything she said, they were not. So I, I was like, hmm, doing my own math. And I was like, this is not adding up. So then I just started exploring more. Let me see who's around to friend and who to talk to and less dialogue. And, and now I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I ever listened to this woman. You know, she had that revelation I talk about. Yeah. And you wake wow. up and realize, oh, my parents did that, <laughs> you know? So right. Um, right. I, I talked to somebody, um, I asked some young people about this. Uh, how come you guys don't have um, as much issues with race technically? I mean, you got some proud boy type kids, you got those, but overall, um, at least in my area, um, not everybody. I, I won't say everybody. At least my daughter's friends. Let me stick to that. I better, I better rephrase that because I know something. Okay. I'm like, mm, you're shady, questionable racism on the way. Uh, so that's true. But my daughter's friends, I said, you know, how come you guys, some of them, they don't have that issue? Like I said, I've watched them, I've observed them, and they just, they, they, they just, they're amazing. And they told me, well, we talk about stuff. 
No matter how hard or painful it is, we talk, we talk, we talk. Did you see that? Well, why did they? Why did this guy think that that was okay to do this? And you know what? That Karen, I don't know. And they keep it 100%. So if I'm feeling like, well, I didn't think nothing was wrong with that, I'm not going to judge her and say, oh, well, why don't you see anything wrong with it? What I'm going to do is listen to why she thinks that's okay, which is what I think that's the only thing I can offer. I mean, I, I don't think, here's another theory. I don't think black people have anything to quote unquote, learn about racism. We know about, we are the product of, we are the by, um, byproduct of, of racism, but we do have to, uh, when we get the opportunity to listen uh, and, um, and then, you know, step back and see how that plays out. Yeah. You know, I well, mean, you said something that I think is really key there about mm -hmm. that your daughter and her friends are talking about things because mm -hmm. Um, a lot of kids right now, people would say, oh, they're fine. They're doing great because they have mm -hmm. friends of different racial backgrounds mm -hmm. and so on and so on. But many of them have been raised to be colorblind and yeah. they never talk about race and racism. And so mm -hmm. there's like this veneer, you know, mm -hmm. it looks all good. But the moment something happens a little bit off, the mm -hmm. white kids don't know what to do. They're completely at sea. They don't know how to talk about what's going on. They have mm -hmm. all kinds of racist stereotypes in, in the back of their mind that mm -hmm. come forward when something mm -hmm. happens. So mm -hmm. it is really important for kids to know that we got to talk about race and, exactly. and for adults to talk with them about race and racism. Exactly. I've had even black folk that tell me, I don't want to talk about that. I, you know, that's so long ago. And I was like, you wonder why you couldn't get that job yesterday, girl. I don't even want to tell you. So I, I don't even have that dialogue with some African-American folks who are like, no, it's like, and I understand what people say when they say it's about your character and, you know, you can get anything you want in America if you really work hard. And that is essentially true. I mean, if, if I really, really, really want something, I think I can really, really get it regardless of my color. Um, I just will have a really, really, really hard time depending on what that is and where that is. You know what I'm saying? So I'll, I'll get this. I was going to push back right there, Tanya, but I don't yeah, know. No. I'm just saying like, no, I'm, I'm not agreeing with those people that say that I'm saying in my head, because I was raised that um, I'm not going to, I won't make any excuses, but I will call you out. So yeah. you, you know what I mean? There's a difference. Well, I'm not going to sit. Yeah. yeah I, I'm not going to sit and sulk. I'm going to try to see how can I do change? What can I do to do change? First I start with me and then I start with the people that I know. So if I see you saying things that are reckless, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to stop whoever, you know, whoever it is. If I see you doing things reckless, I'm going to ask you just, I'm just curious, but why did you do that? You know, because I think the dialogue is everything. Like you, you can't get any change if you're not talking about it at all. And, and I learned so much. There's a great group that meets uh, once a month uh, and they are magnificent, sustainable conversations. Um, uh, uh, Joyce, uh, he uh, Helena Joyce and uh, Chris um, Yen, um, they, they're just amazing, absolutely amazing. And they have this dialogue with everyone of all colors, all backgrounds, all everything, you name it, they're in, they're in this group and they have honest dialogue honest. Like, so someone may say, I was raised in the South at a very racist time. I'm 90 years old. What do you want from me? Uh, and so everyone will say, well, I'm 90 and I was raised in that race of time and I couldn't even drink the same water fountain. So it, they come to this meeting of the minds that, wow, so we really have to change something here. And I have to take responsibility that, yeah, I, I, I just, everything goes over my head with race because I didn't have to deal with it. 
And I'm the, I was on the winning side of it, so it didn't bother me. Uh, so dialogue is everything. Um, yep. Tell us about some of your classes, because I can't believe the time. Are you okay for time? Uh, I have not been looking at the clock. You're going to okay, tell good. me when okay. I got to shut up. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Good, good, good. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't holding you. So tell us about um, some of the classes. Um, well, we have coming up um, next week. We're starting mm -hmm. our What White People Can Do About Racism, Part 1. Mm -hmm. There okay. are two parts to that workshop and part okay. two will be offered in uh, September, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that's a, a basics workshop, if you will, mm -hmm. but it's actually not so basic. We've had people who are pretty advanced um, mm -hmm. come along and find new things in that workshop. So mm -hmm. we go over, you know, what does racism mean? Because mm -hmm. a lot of people don't even know the, the definition of racism. They're working yes. from an old fashioned understanding that it's, you know, one person being mean to another person. So we, we go over no actually about it's systemic, it's historically constructed, et cetera. Um, okay. We also look at what are costs of racism for white people. That's mm -hmm. something that's pretty new territory for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and not like reverse racism, which doesn't exist, but just like uh, looking at how this system is damaging for all human beings. So maybe wouldn't that be a good incentive to cut mm -hmm. it out? So mm -hmm. uh, so there's what white people can do about racism, parts mm -hmm. one and two, to give you some really foundational stuff you need to know as okay. an anti-racist. Mm -hmm. um, we also have Transforming White Organizational Culture. That's our newest workshop, actually, oh. and which is developed because all across the country, what mm -hmm. we have is organizations and institutions that are predominantly white, right? Because mm -hmm. white people are in power and have control and the resources and wealth and everything. So right. that's a very common pattern is to have white dominated institutions. And how are we going to change and end racism if that's mm -hmm. the case? So mm -hmm. we have this workshop on uh, supporting people to come from their organizations, their institutions, and look at how can I make change at the organizational level? Wow. And, and you do private consulting as well, right? We do. And we also can go into um, institutions. Yeah. So if uh, if a school wants us to come and work with their staff and administrators and so on, we mm -hmm. can do that kind of work. OK. And what what can what can um, African-Americans do? Um, can we listen more? Can we what, what can we do? Because some people say, listen, we need to take a break because we done did everything we can. And we're blue in the face so we could just take a break. What is, do you have any suggestions? Because I've taken your class and I actually learned something. That's why I learned to listen. Because before I'd be like, I don't want to hear nothing you got to say about, you don't know about racism and I don't, you know, that's my typical thing. And then I was like, wait a minute, she's got a valid point. If she was raised in a racist household, where else would she get it if she doesn't watch a lot of TV? <laughs> so so yeah. sometimes you have to teach people, but any suggestions that would make it more, you know, uh, doable, I'll say. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest and say I'm I'm uncomfortable giving advice to people of color, particularly black people, about mm -hmm. what you should do. Um, okay. I, I am very comfortable giving advice to white people about what okay. white people I gotcha, I gotcha. Um, it makes sense. So I'm going to tell the black folk, uh, sometimes we got to listen and, and, and hear what that person's past was like and then we work and then we move forward after then you can have dialogue. But if I just shut them out and say, well, she was raised in a racist household. I ain't talking to her. And, then, and I'm holding her, you know, her parents hostage for, for something that they embedded in this this woman or man. Uh, sometimes you have to stop for a second and breathe and say, whoa, wait a minute. I actually talked to a very racist person once 
Um, and now they're no longer racist. Uh, they actually see my way. And I was able to see why they were so, um, you know, uh, malicious or whatever the word is. Uh, they had a lot of issues going on. But we we talked for so long that I think they just let their guard down and I let my guard down. And then we got to humanness. Once you get to humanness, then you say, hmm, we're more alike than, than not. And then, you know, the real thing starts. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree, Tanya. I, I think that there are times um, when we do, for instance, that exercise uh, in our foundational course about costs of racism for white people. I think mm -hmm. that there are some times when the people of color in the room mm -hmm. learn things they didn't know about how white people have been damaged. Um, and it's not to, you know, now make people of color feel bad for white people. That's not the point. But right. to just understand that, oh, okay, you know, now I can kind of get what's going on over there. And it, I think it's always helpful when you have an idea of what's going on for other people. Right. Um, also, I think that sometimes it can be inspiring. Mm -hmm. I've heard this from some of our participants of color that they were inspired to see white people actually getting down to it and getting to work. Okay. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me about uh, one of your um, one of your classes, raising anti-racist white children. We didn't talk about that, right? One of the classes. Well, I did mention, so that's the one that's coming up in October, and that's a, a great workshop for, for any adults who have anything to do with children, which is hopefully, you know, most adults. Um, because again, um, kids are being raised in the system. So mm -hmm. no matter what, you know, Beverly Tatum says in her famous book about why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? Yes. She talks about racism as being like smog. So yes. everybody's breathing the smog. So it doesn't matter, even if you're the best intentioned people in the world mm -hmm. doing the best thing, raising your children, your children are part of a society yes. that is daily, minute by minute, teaching mm -hmm. them race and racism. So yeah. our workshop on raising anti-racist white children, and again, which is open to people of all races, right. um, is, uh, you know, it's a deep dive into, okay, how are kids learning? When are they learning it? Which is from the beginning. There, it's yeah. So many people tell me, oh, you know, the kids are fine. You know, we raise them colorblind and they're fine. They're not fine. Right. <laughs> By the age of three, yeah. Children can distinguish racial groups and know that white people are considered superior by the mm -hmm. age of three. Um, but they also know that they're not supposed to be talking about this stuff, so they will hide things from mm -hmm. their parents and other adults. So you'll think, oh, they're fine, but they're actually calling each other names and bullying and all kinds of things that you don't realize. Anyway, so our workshop helps you to educate children so they won't do that. So they will be anti-racist. What about parents who say, because this happens with the critical race theory, oh, you're going to teach my children how not to like being white and you're going to teach them to hate themselves. And that's that's what I'm hearing with the critical race right. theory. I'm like, oh gosh, please yep. stop. Please stop. So yeah. what do you think about when the people say that one? Well, first of all, it's important to know that critical race theory does not teach any of that stuff. That's what people are afraid of. That's what they imagine. That's what they themselves think and feel. Right. But it is not what CRT teaches. Okay. In our workshop, we actually have a segment mm -hmm. on um, building a positive racial identity for white children. It's mm -hmm. one of the ironies of racism that mm -hmm. nowadays white children Mm -hmm. have poor self-esteem 
because yes. because they are beginning to recognize that oh my god you know my people are doing terrible things yes. so we have a segment on how to help white children be anti-racist mm. without blaming and shaming themselves you know, without beating themselves up. That's a really important section of the workshop. Absolutely. You need to come to our school district. I'm just saying. I'm coming. <laughs> if you're listening to the school district, you need to bring Robin over there. I'm dead serious because uh, I was sat in on a, um, it was a voting for one of the board members and I was like, whoa, people got up and they're like, we don't want critical race theory here. They're going to teach our children to hate themselves. We even had a lady from other, some other, people from other countries saying, I came here with $2 and, and this country is so great. There's no racism. The cops are lovely. They're so nice. I was like, girl, uh, wait till you learn about 20 years. You're going to take that back. No, I'm joking. It's a joke. But, you know, I, I just I just I was like my brain was like fried from listening to them. And and one lady was black. She was from like Somalia. And she was like, I came here with five dollars, my father. And uh, what she say? Um, you know, I can't believe black people are so ungrateful for this great country. Yes. I was like, ungrateful. Well, after we picked the cotton or before, I'm just saying. We're well, and it, and it often makes a difference whether you were raised here or you weren't raised here. If you were raised here and have been the target your whole life of racism, that's going to have a different impact on you from if you grew up in a different country and now you come here. Absolutely. I, I, uh, I can, I'm, I'm trying to preach that to people, but let's see if they get it. Um, so having racist parents, um, that should not be an excuse, right? At this point in 2021 with YouTube, I, I think that would not be a good excuse. Right. It, I was that way because of my parents. It's <laughs> not a good excuse, but I have to admit you, if you got racist parents, that's going to be tough because, um, you know, then you're going to have to break out. Um, if you've got anti-racist parents, you know, they're already helping you along. But <laughs> yes. You've got racist you're parents, somebody else is going to have to break you out. Yes, that's true. And I, I, I get that. I totally, I've seen, I've seen some of my friends' parents used to go pull up to the driveway, but we wouldn't go all the way in because I was the black person in the car. And so we was, we would actually laugh. We made fun of it actually, but, uh, but, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't so funny, <laughs> but she's like, all right, so we're going to wait here because we don't want to see who's in the car. And we run out <laughs> in the night because it was a bet that she would never come to the door, which she never did. Uh, wow. Thank God she was like a hoarder and she never left the house. So we were wow. lucky. But that's I've seen literally dealt with people who are like, no, nah, you can't come in. I'm like, why not? You know, when you're like seven, I'm like, well, uh, my parents don't feel well. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Hmm. Really? Do they think I'm going to steal something? So I've had it. I've heard. I've seen it and uh, had it before. But uh, uh, so so decentering whiteness and building multiracial communities that is uh, prevalent. Yes. So that's one of our workshops, and actually, that is our mission statement. Mm. Is uh, that our mission is to work for an equitable and just society by mm. decentering whiteness and building multiracial community. Mm -hmm. uh, and when we first started saying that back in 1995, that was really new, that was groundbreaking. People didn't even know what we were talking about. Nowadays, yeah. I am seeing, we are seeing more and mm -hmm. more people using that phrase, decentering whiteness. And yeah, the idea yeah. there 
being, you know, not kill Whitey. (laughs) (laughs) That's not what it's about. But it is about recognizing that whiteness has been dominating and that's messed up everybody. So we we don't kill it, but we move it to the margins. And um, the only thing is that what people mostly aren't talking about is, well, what happens after you move whiteness to the margins? You have to have something in the center. You have to have like a focal point at the center of society. So that's where the other part comes in that we are trying to teach people about is building multiracial culture and community. Mm -hmm. So how do we actually do that? We, you know, we don't know. People don't know how, because we have never had that in this country. Mm -hmm. We've had, um, integrated communities, but they weren't necessarily anti-racist, mm. right? That's a big difference between just mixing it up with different cultures and different races and having actual anti-racism so mm. that whiteness is no longer dominating and right. at a multiracial center. Hmm. Well, one thing you mentioned uh, something, and I want to speak on that. Um, uh, black people. Uh, so um, I always, t- I always tell my friends, and we talk, we laugh about this, but it's serious. I've never um, known, I've never known any black people that wanted to wake up and hang somebody or beat somebody down from a tree or or anything. You know, even if even if someone came out in front and they said, "Well, we're gonna, we're gonna," I mean, well. Hitler's an exception, so we can't use him as an example because I might, I might not be quick anymore. Um, but let's say any other bad white person, if someone came and brought them before a black mob, unless they abused a child or something like something like something serious or a senior citizen or something where you know code code rule says no, this can't happen. Um, most of us, um, I'd say ninety nine percent of us, would never be sitting there. Um, getting uh, revenged because that's we're just not. And since the day of since the day they brought us up here on these boats, we've never been a revenge seeking people. Some of us, you know, you have Gar, Gar it was Garvey, you have a few people that did um, revolts or something like yeah. that. But as a whole, it's not in our. It's just not uh, evilness, in my opinion, uh, is not in our violence. Uh, how do I say it? evilness? Violence? I don't know what word I'm looking for. Is not in our DNA. Revenge is revenge is the word is not really in our DNA. And had it been, oh, there'd be a lot of people dead by now. That's right. I mean, starting with having to breastfeed slave masters, babies, feed them, and we had to feed them. I mean, we could have did so many trickeries if we were that type of people, but we weren't. And I don't understand how, you know, white people are so afraid, you know, when the truth is, as my, uh, one of my um, I'm a co-host of, of someone else's show, Five Black Comics, and he always says, you know, black people should wake up and go out there door and be like, oh, white people, we should be traumatized every time we, oh my God, oh, oh, oh. we should be the ones jumping because yeah. we're the ones that have received generations of major trauma, not even like a little bit, a lot of it. Yes. And so yes. I can never understand how when I go somewhere and someone grabs their bag, I'm like, girl, why are you grabbing your bag? It's not even a Chanel. I mean, really, like just, you know, and I joke about it, but I'm serious. Like, are you really grabbing your bag? Like, do you look at me? Do I look like I would take a bag first of all? And then second of all, um, can you at least give me credit and let it be like a Birkin bag or something? Like, you know, like it would, if, if I was going to be, a, if you're going to put me as a criminal, at least better let it be something nice. Like, uh, you know, you, I walk by your car and it's, and it's a Honda Civic, which they probably are nice cars, but um, you know, it's not like the, the newest 
Bentley or something. I don't know what that is. I don't really like cars, but <laughs> I'm just going to use that example. You know, it's not the latest. And like, so I'm standing next to it. And so you think I was about to get into it? Like, why would you think that? You know, so these are, it just boggles my mind that we've been through the most trauma, but yeah. we're the most trusting or, or even if it's not trusting, what's the word? Um, we don't, um, we don't have this vengeance to say, well, not white lady walks by me. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. You know what I'm saying? Very, that's a very rare thing. And that's usually lumped off to the young kids that are being knuckleheads, but uh, adults and black people in general, we don't walk around saying, I'm going to get that man or white man or black. We just don't do it because it's just, I don't know why we don't do it, but we just don't do it. So I don't understand why people are afraid of us um, or, um, you know, afraid that some the great revelation is going to happen. Because even if we have these dialogues and we do create some change in the real history, make some real histories, it still doesn't take away from you as a human being. No one's trying to come and kill you, as opposed to the opposite with us. People yeah. came to try to kill us, and they still are trying to kill us. So there's yeah. a big, big difference. And I wish people would wake up and just at least see that, you know. Uh, yes. So. Anyway, I know uh, time is of essence, but what's my last question for you? Um, well, can I say something quick to mm -hmm. that one? Mm -hmm. just, just trying to keep it really quick, but one is okay. that I have seen information about uh, DNA of white people um, that, that empathy mm -hmm. um, has been uh, affected. Our, our DNA is such that we do not have the empathy that we ought to have and could have. And fortunately, mm -hmm. empathy can be taught. Yes. Um, so, you know, that's important to do, to be yes. teaching white children empathy very yes. purposely and consciously. But yes. that's part of the explanation for yes. how I know some people who have it, and I keep saying to myself, how did they get that? You know, some of my friends, some of my white friends, I'm like, I know, like, I can't explain it to you, but some of, there's some of my white friends that I just, like, I even have to, I can't explain it, but the, the things they do, I'm like, I maybe in the past life, I don't know. Maybe we're siblings. I can't explain it really. I, and it's not everybody, obviously, but there's some people I'm like, they have such, I can't explain it. Soul um, that I know um, that when I speak of my pain, I, I can see it in their expression, their body language, everything, their voice, the tonation that they know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Even if they, even if they don't have to experience it, they, they just feel it. And I don't know why that is. Um, but, um, I wish everybody had that. Um, cause then we, we really would have got somewhere already <laughs> if everybody had compassion and understanding. Um, but anyway, uh, um, what do you think when people say, I have no issue? Um, what do they say? I don't see color. I used to say that I don't see color. What would you say to me? Um, that you do so see color, the brain processes things like um, racial, like skin color, sorry, uh -huh. never mind racial, it uh -huh. processes things like skin color in uh -huh. milliseconds. So oh, it's actually uh -huh. a lie that you really? don't see color. Yep. And so, because, because the brain is wired for survival and it is right, important right. for our survival to see all kinds of details, one of which is skin color and other mm -hmm. features that we associate with race. So then you have to ask yourself, well, if my brain actually mm -hmm. does see and process race, mm -hmm. uh, well, features that mm -hmm. are connected with race in milliseconds, why would I say I don't see color? Well, the answer is obvious. It's because once you see color, then you can see racism. And if you can't see color, then you can 
go around not being aware of racism, not being aware of your white privilege if you're a white person. You can just not have the whole conversation. So I would tell you, stop lying and, and even ask yourself, why were you lying? Why was it important to you to pretend that you can't see color? Oh, is it because there's a huge ocean of shame and not for you as a black person, but I'm talking mean. to a white person now. <laughs> um, you know, the, the shame and the guilt and the regret and the rage and the terror mm -hmm. that sits under there because of race and racism and our history. Is that why you don't want to see color? Just maybe? Mm. Wow. Well, that's a... Uh Ooh, it sounded like a sermon on Sunday morning. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, but I want to go to a couple of the uh, viewers. Hey, guys, thank you guys so much for watching out there. I see you guys. Uh, so thank you, Elizabeth and Carl. I see you. Uh, Carl had a question. He said, I think you might have answered already. Why are some white people in such denial? I think you just you just summed it up beautifully. Um, let's see. Who else? Somebody had a uh, education is important, Elizabeth said. Uh, Carl, what'd you say? Several of my white friends have told people the people caught them with drugs. The drugs were taken and they were sent home. One even got a ride home. He was saying in a pullover thing situation. Yeah, that's called privilege and that's okay. I mean, I will say uh, I have had a couple of incidents that were very bad with police and, and I'm not a criminal. And I've had uh, one or two where they were very nice to me, but that's because it's my area and I know them. Uh, so I think that's what happened. Yeah, uh, again, Tanya. Kanye, I'm glad that you didn't have terrible experiences. But again, if we look at statistically, right, you, know, you look at what happened with Dylan Roof after he killed all those people. And then, yeah. McDonald's, I know. No, I've had a couple bad, very bad. I mean, traumatizing. I should be like, oh, if my ex-stepfather was not a police officer, I probably would be like, I'm writing them all off. But, but I can't do that because I know that that was just my, those two jerks, not... Okay, I apologize for stating that. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying, I because some people say, oh, you have, you, we have nice police officers. I said, well, where I live, I, as of today, um, I've never had a problem so far. Knock on wood. Um, and our guys are, you know, they train them well. They're not, they're not like happy shooters and happy egotistical. And I've been in such, I've seen situations where they were called and they, they're fair to everybody. So that's just only my area. Now I would not want to go to Minneapolis. I would not want to go out in the Midwest and I definitely ain't going nowhere in the South. So that does not apply to them. Uh, but I will say, um, I've been blessed a couple of times, uh, and who's this? Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. First, we have to get out of denial that racism doesn't exist in order for us to be open. Yes, yes, exactly what she said. You can't um, you can't grab a new idea from a closed mind. Oh, that's very prevalent. Yes, that's very true. Uh, who's this? Uh, I thought Kimberly says, here she is. I find the DNA and empathy comment fascinating. Can you point me to the study of research article that shows this? Uh, I have never heard of this before. I recently t did my DNA for me and my kids and the amount of different races, ethnic background in their DNA surprised me. Now uh, DNA shows so much. Yes, Kimberly, um, Robin might have an example for you too um, as well, but I, I saw something on that, but I didn't hold the name and the, the journal to cite it from. I mean, I can, maybe Robin, if you find it, let me know um, and I'll, uh, yeah. I'll send it to her. And I would encourage Kimberly to to try Googling it because honestly, I don't remember right offhand where did I get that, but I'll look and also 
sometimes Google is our friend. Yeah, I've seen it before too, but I didn't write it down because I didn't think I needed. I wasn't doing uh, the thesis or nothing. So, but uh, but that's a good question, Kimberly. And uh, there's lots of stuff actually. I'm starting to see stuff now, and I was like, wow, uh, I'm I can't believe someone's saying that. <laughs> I can't believe it's being said actually on, even on television. So you there's lots of there. If you Google it, you will find it. Um, and I just came across someone yesterday, but I did not. He's a professor, um, and I did not the school and all that stuff because I was just you know, chip flicking through um, and, uh, stuff, different stuff on race. So that's why. But it's a very um, interesting Kimberly DNA. Um, many of us will find that we have uh, multiple things in us, including myself. Uh, so that's why to me, I don't know, um, racism never I, makes sense. If never I can makes. find it, I'll send it to you, Tony. Okay, yes, because I know her. I can give it to her. Um, Bulletproof vest and a burger. Yes, that's right. For Dylan. Hi, Yvonne. How are you? Yes, that's right. He sure did. And who else? So thank you guys. So I think that's it for my questions. Um, so one thing I want to ask you before we go is um, tell us about your book. Um, to, uh, let's see, Writing My Heart Out, an artist's tapestry. Oh. Uh, you know, am, I, am, I, am I taking you back too much? I'm going to go there. It's just that that's, uh, well, it doesn't have anything to do uh, with anti-racism. I'm sorry, I'm seeing, I'm seeing Edie G on screen. Is oh. that my colleague, Edie Grower? Oh. Hi, is that Edie? Identify yourself. Unmask yourself. Edie uh, Grower is a co-trainer with me at Sisamac. Oh. So Hi, Edie. Curious. How are you? I can't tell. Uh, Edie, say I something. can't tell you. There could be a different EDG, but yes, it could be, but probably yours. Uh, I have the more empathy for animals. Oh, oh, Carl. <laughs> Carl sorry, Carl said. Why <laughs> people yeah, have more no, empathy I, for animals? I, 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 uh, I work closely with a black anti-racist community organizer who has been um, in the field for like 40 years. His name mm -hmm. is Daryl Davis. And he says the same thing. He's always talking about how white people will come out to save the whales, yes. but you know, save a black man. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I got something to do. I gotta make my hot chocolate. Uh, yeah, That's no, right. I, I, I do understand comedy and I have a joke about that. Uh, but because oh, I, I started seeing, I said, wait a minute. They got a season that you can actually hunt the bears and a season you can hunt the deer or hunt, get the fish, right? The bass is season, okay. all that stuff, right? And you yep. can't do it all the time. I said, why aren't they giving black men a season? Because this is crazy. I mean, this. let's give a, can you give us a break? I mean, something. It, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. I saw a lady raise $60,000 in two hours for cat shelter. Wow. Cat shelter. I wow. said, yeah, you got kids out here who don't have a home, foster youth. And they, I mean, and they were there like you had said, the children are going to die if you do not feed them tomorrow. Everybody's like, here, here's a thousand dollars. Here's 2000. Here's 5,000. Here you go. And, and at the same time, Tanya, I got to say, as a cat lover, you know, yes. I, I was going to say, what I want to say, what I want to say is that it ultimately, it still comes down to that it's mm. our country as a country that mm. is systemically oppressing people of color. And mm. so it's not even about who raised money for the cat shelter. Like you should be able to do that. Right. If our country, mm. if our society mm. would change its ways, we would have so much money for the cat shelters, for the whales, and for all the people mm. of color who right. are being oppressed and don't have housing, don't have education, don't have health care. We would have enough money for all of that. Mm. So I, I want us to remember that, yes, it makes a difference what we do at the personal level. Right. You know, that woman can maybe now turn around and see if she could raise that amount of money for Black Lives Matter. Right. But also we ultimately really need to be looking at institutionally, systemically. Mm. 
how are we going to change the course of this ship? Okay. I think that is, uh, that's the, that's the uh, final note, guys. How are we going to change the course of this ship? Uh, and that means that we all have to be out here doing the work. Um, yes, we, we do. have to all, um, you know, be considerate of other people, um, listen when we can. Uh, and, you know, I'm myself included, you know, there's days where I'm like, oh, why'd you say that? And then I have to stop and say, relax. That's, they think that's the truth. Like that, that, uh, that kid in the video, he really thought that that was the truth. And you could that's tell right. he was a little uh, special, but that's another story. He, <laughs> he really thought that that was the truth. That's, I, I can tell by his, his tonation, everything that someone raised him or the people he's around, the circle he's around really embedded that thought into his head. So he's, it's, it's gold. It's gold to him. So yep. I can't just dismiss it and be like, well, I, he's stupid. Doesn't he know that's not true? Because I don't, I mean, that's how he was raised. So, oh, tell Jack I said hi. Oh, oh, oh my little friend there. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, the bottom line is we have work to do. And, and, and I suggest if you have grandkids or kids, you have a lot work, a lot of good work to do that can really start the process so that in 10, 15 years, whew, it'll be lightening up a little bit uh, because like my grandson will be raised to uh, appreciate and love uh, all people uh, and to know about different cultures and different places and different languages. You know, he know that there's more than a hundred languages in Africa. It's not just African. Uh, so you know, those are crucial. I, I think it's so important um, Robin, and I just think, um, let's see, is that Edie? Yes, it's Edie, your colleague. I got kicked off. Hi, hey, Edie. <laughs> hi, Edie. I wish oh, you could have awesome. came. Oh, hi, Edie. Thank you uh, for joining us. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of work to do, Robin. That's the bottom line. If anyone wants to reach uh, Robin in the school, uh, not school, I said that wrong, the center. Okay. I apologize. <laughs> the center. Okay. So I apologize for that. I get a little, uh, eh, eh. Um, you know, you can reach out to me. Um, and I also put, um, I put the, uh, when you go back and look at the thread, the information is there for the website as well. And Robin, do you have any, any last request? I want to say, since we talked about a lot of work to do, I want to say for white people in particular, that mm -hmm. the, doing this work, is rewarding in a day in a way that you cannot imagine until you begin to do it. Mm. It, it is huge mm. to know that you are part of making things right. And mm. so, yes, it's hard work. Yeah, it can be painful and scary and cost money, and you know you have to give up some privilege and stuff. So, so these are things that sometimes keep people away from doing anti-racism work, but I am here to tell you that your life will transform and you will be so grateful that you are in the movement and doing the work. Absolutely. Uh, so guys, we must, we must do the work. I just put that advertisement up there. Um, and uh, we must do the work. Um, I'm committed to doing the work and I'm committed to uh, tapping you on the back if you're not doing the work. <laughs> I got no problem with that in a nice, loving, kind way, though. I won't be uh, I won't be uh, rude about it. Um, but we got work to do, guys. And I'm willing to do it. I hope everybody that's, that's watching today that you're willing to do it, that you're willing to take the step and say, you know, what my gr my grandkids or my kids need to, um, you know, maybe we've been teaching them a little bit un, un you know, unconsciously teaching them things that that's not going to be good later. So maybe I need to correct that now. So take the responsibility as a parent. Um, all my friends out there, I, I love you guys because 
as soon as I say, oh, we got work to do, everybody's like, all right, what do we got to do? So, so I love, there's some people I just love because they get it and they're willing to do the work, but we can't do it by ourselves. We've got to do it together as a community. So um, I thank you guys so much for watching. And I will see you guys again on Saturday with Five Black Comics. We are talking about do black men commit more crimes or mm. do they just get locked up more because of uh, a lot of ill reasons? I think that's why. But we're going to talk about it Saturday, five o'clock Eastern time. So I'll see you then. And Robin, hang out for one moment. And okay. I thank you guys, all the viewers, Emery, everybody. Thank you guys so much. Yvonne, I see you guys. Uh, Kimberly, everybody. I see you all there. Elizabeth, Carl. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to watch and um, and all of uh, Robin's uh, constituents uh, who, who are watching. Uh, we thank you. And don't forget about those classes, guys. Please. I pro I've taken the class. I promise you, you will get something out of it. I promise you, you will walk away with a newfound uh, appreciation for just human beings. All right. Bye, guys. Mm -hmm.